Chapter 3 The Fear Avoiding a Life of Intimacy with God Fire's capacity for high impact comes with many warning signs. Caution! Muy caliente! Do not leave unattended! Could lead to serious injury! Fire contains risks that must be conscientiously weighed by those approaching it. Our knowledge of fire's powerful potential creates a realization that for all the ways fire can benefit, it can equally harm. Fire's friend, the forge, comes with no guarantees either. While most of us would love to be perfectly formed and fashioned works of art, our knowledge that materials sometimes get mishandled and maligned in earthly forges tends to make us apprehensive about being spiritually forged by God. It's difficult to get intimate with God if we aren't convinced that we will be better off entering the forge and getting up close to the fire of his love. Our lack of trust leads to insecurity. Our insecurity stirs our fear. And when we fear, we tend to react in one of three ways. We hesitate, fight, or run. None of these reactions makes us better people or gets us closer to the place we want to be. Hesitation eventually leads to a paralysis that doesn't go anywhere. Fighting creates winners, losers, and choosing sides. And running from the one we were always meant to have a close relationship with puts us miles from the spiritual rest and meaningful living we hope for and desire. Mistrust, fear, and missing out. Unfortunately, mistrust, fear, and distancing ourselves from God plays right into the hands of the enemy of life and love. Satan is cunning. He knows he can't get to God, so he goes after the objects of God's great affection, his children. Satan's strategy is to divide and conquer. Separating us from God's rest and delight is his greatest goal and most twisted pleasure, and he will do all he can to keep us cold, motionless, and buried. Satan is aware that God, the consuming fire, cannot be doused, reduced, or extinguished, and that those set ablaze by his love are fire-starting threats nearly impossible to snuff out. That's why Satan attempts to distract, confuse, and deter us from getting up close to God. He knows that the best way to keep a fire from spreading is to never let it get started. Any dampening or drawing back of a heart on fire for God and his kingdom is considered a victory for the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. In a bullfighting ring, a matador, who prefers not to end up like Swiss cheese, has a major objective to achieve. Never let the bull be at home in the ring. 
a bull can easily outweigh a matador by 2,000 pounds. With such disparity in weight and strength, the matador must look for every advantage. Seasoned matadors may vary on what strategies are most effective, but all will agree on one. Never let the bull find Querencia. Querencia is a place in the ring where the bull feels the greatest rest and finds resurgence of strength. It's that spot where, amid all the chaos and threats around him, the bull feels at home and authentically complete. If the bull finds Cadencia, <laughs> the bullfighter is in great peril. Great for the bull, not so much for the bull's fighter. Satan, the bullfighter, knows this. He knows that he cannot win when we are at home with God. That's why he will wave flags and make noise and wreak any kind of havoc possible to distract us from the one place he cannot afford for us to be, at home and fully alive with God. We were made for Cadencia with God. Unfortunately, many of us live lost, frenzied, confused, and anything but rested and resurgent lives. Distracted from God's presence, those who listen to Satan's lies continue to believe they are better without God than with him. And that's where distraction and unbelief begin. We hear and follow the wrong voice. We listen to the crafty one in the garden who whispers, Did God really say? Without much rebuttal, we concede to the snake and take a bite. The flavor seems sweet enough at first, but a bitter aftertaste soon follows. Gradually, our palate gets used to swallowing the bad apple propaganda Satan feeds us. And like Adam and Eve before us, we live conflicted, continually sorting through a mixed bag of who God is and who he is not. Satan repeats his cunning whisper through a multitude of mouthpieces, and those who listen to him question the trust and clarity God provides. False information leads to believing second-hand rumors and hearsay over first-hand conversations with God. Before we know it, instead of being in a renewing, strength-building, identity-defining, querencia place with God, we are outside the Garden of Eden, feeling naked, ashamed, and very distant from Him all because we swallowed lies about the one who loves us most. Many live deceived. They don't get close to God due to faulty information, poor teaching, hard experiences, bad role models, feelings of unworthiness, or simply believing personal control will give them better outcomes. Whether paralyzed hesitant, resistant, fighting, or running, 
People distant from God are always distant from their best selves and higher life purpose. The truth is, if we really knew Yada God, we would love him and daily walk with him. Stunned by ease of access to his love and availability, we would wake up with God on our mind and go to bed with his name on our lips. And in the hours between midstream real-life conversations with God would direct our day, our decisions, and our relationships. Praise for God's greatness and thankfulness for all he's done and presently doing would occupy our thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions. We would live as those in love because we would be. As we really knew Yada God and his great love for us. While we were perfectly designed for it, few live in such daily rhythm and relationship with God. Many remain motionless and apprehensive. Fear of missing out, losing out, or being mistreated plagues us. The childhood caution of don't play with fire lest you get burned seems to carry over into our willingness to approach God. Here are four of the biggest culprits that keep us from getting too close to God and the fire of his love. Among the things that distance us are a cost too high. For some, drawing close to God demands too high a price. They aren't willing to give what entering into a real love relationship requires. White flag, self-surrender in exchange for incomparable relationship gains. Jesus often talked about the cost of what it meant to follow him and never shied away from being upfront about it. Jesus once asked some potential followers, Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? That pointed challenge came on the heels of these sobering realities. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26 through 27. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. John 12, 24. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Matthew 16, 25. I've already referenced the man who went away sad because he treasured his wealth more than he treasured Jesus. He wasn't alone. On another occasion, some well-meaning people vowed to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus challenged them to trade their good intentions for a strong commitment to make Jesus their first love and highest priority. The cost of following Jesus is high costs us everything, all that we are, all that we have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's love's deal. 
It always has been. Jesus never put an alternate offer on the table. Knowing God intimately requires an all-in surrender of self. He never claimed it would be easy. He simply said that it would be worth it. You will have to decide for yourself if the conviction of martyred missionary Jim Elliot is true. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Far too many people, those who wear the name Christian as well as those who do not, withdraw from getting close to Jesus because the cost seems too high and the way too hard. They're attracted to the idea of God's love and goodness as long as it's advantageous and on their terms. To say it another way, as long as they are being blessed, God is their number one love. When the storms of life hit, however, they opt for comfort and control over intimacy with God. Jesus describes such people in his story about four kinds of soil. They are the ones planted in both shallow and thorn-laden soil. Their devotion is thin and easily choked out when love calls for difficult choices of commitment. When the going gets tough for these people, they are more than ready to choose an easier path and softer soil that will serve their own needs first. I've watched the choice occur time and again throughout my life. I've seen people near and dear to me catch a clear vision of God and what life with him offers. Some even said yes to his invitation to an abundant life of purpose, meaning, and joy. Their lives began to look amazingly different in shape and substance. They were new people, alive and fresh. They walked differently. They talked differently. They were different. It was beautiful. And life with God was good, as long as they were living the dream, that is. But when the rains promised to the just and the unjust alike fell, life with God got increasingly messy. When they lost a job, a loved one died, a child rebelled. A church went sour. A relationship got complicated. Their trust level with God was tested or doubts surfaced. Their relationship with God began to crumble. Believing that God somehow disappointed them or didn't meet their expectations, God slowly lost his appeal. Inevitably, in pride and fear, They turned away from God toward human solutions in this world's systems. They opted for their own wisdom, provision, vision, and strength. They bought the apple that serpent sold them and exchanged truth for a lie that in the end profited them nothing. Their lives became sad, ordinary lackluster and final. With an eternal perspective absent, this earthly life became their greatest scramble and hope. In the end, they lived for little that outlasted them and for everything that eluded them, all because they believed 
that the price of following Jesus was too steep, a trust too small. Who can be trusted? It's a fair question. We, we live in a period of history that seems neither steady nor reliable. Unstable governments, shifting cultures, divided families, wounded souls, and bruised and broken relationships all make self-trust and self-reliance appear to be the most viable option. How many times do we have to be burned before avoiding the things that burn us? Promises not kept, security not provided, words misspoken, lies told, innocence breached, partnerships dissolved, and hearts abandoned headline just a few of the many reasons we find it difficult to have faith in people and things beyond ourselves. We live in a world where people increasingly value and trust independence, self-reliance, and individual strength. Suspect governmental leadership, shady happenings in our cities and neighborhoods, and even dysfunction in some of our churches have led many to resolve, if it's going to be, it's up to me. King David, the man after God's own heart, knew plenty about our plight. Throughout the Psalms, David poured his heart out to God about the people near and far that could not be trusted in his life. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies, he laments. Unfortunately, Trusting God has gotten mixed up with all the messiness and disappointment sometimes involved in trusting people. God somehow gets thrown into the mass of humanity's imperfection. Imperfect, inconsistent people are not always worthy of trust, but God is. Scripture rightly declares that God is faithful in all he does. And for a thousand generations, he's been as good as his word. He is trustworthy. Mistrust is our issue, not God's. Even at its very highest level, human love will still leave us longing. Horizontal love sooner or later always disappoints. But God's love does not. God will outlove, outbless, and most importantly, outlast any human source of love. We risk far too much and place far too many unrealistic expectations on others when we choose to rely on horizontal love and all its frailties. It's a bit of a tail-chasing dilemma. We often don't trust God because we don't really know him. Equally, we don't know him because we don't really trust him. How many experiences suffered in church gone wrong and life gone bad scenarios have led us to misjudge God? God often gets cast aside because we mistakenly set our gaze on faulty people 
and failed faith systems instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The result of our misplaced gaze is skewed vision and mistrust of the only one really worth trusting. I've witnessed countless people shrink back from God and even walk away from Him altogether simply because they believed they could not trust Him. Actually, what they could not trust was their flawed and misinformed understandings. God got sold out to lies and propaganda such as, well, if I'm good and play by the rules, God will reward me in tangible ways and my life will be relatively easy. Or, if I'm faithfully following God, I will never have to suffer. Or, God's job is to make life easier and happy for me. These subtle lies begin to set God up for expectations he never promised to meet. So many who claim they cannot trust God make their decision based on promises God never proposed. But here's the good news. When tragedy strikes, when life takes a sudden turn, when jobs are lost, spouses leave, children rebel, illnesses invade, and trials come, God can truly be trusted. His promises of, I will never leave you, nor forsake you, and peace, I leave with you, my peace, I give you, and trust me with all your heart, and I will direct your path, have never been unfulfilled or compromised. And upon each step of trust, God reveals why he is worth trusting, just how powerful he is and what he can accomplish in his timing and economy as we lean into him. A few summers back, a three-hour mountain hike turned into a 13-hour ordeal on the side of Mount Evans, one of Colorado's 14,000-foot mountains. A group of 25 FORGE students and leaders began an exercise designed to help participants work together, depend on one another, and engage in deeper conversation along the way. The objective was easy enough. Begin at a 12,000-foot point and hike down the mountain trail three miles to a meadow where the group would camp for the night. The hike wasn't crucial to the program's major objectives. It was simply a way to get from point A to point B while enjoying the majestic mountain grandeur and perhaps learning a few things about teammates along the way. As the saying goes, we plan and God laughs. While God most certainly wasn't laughing, the team's plans were certainly disrupted. One of the participating students lost her footing and began to slide down the steep incline of the mountain slope. Life on Colorado peaks always comes with risk and danger. Safety nets are not included in the climb-at-your-own-risk warning. Unfortunately, the student's slide began to worsen as she turned and flipped and finally came to rest on the other side of a large rock. As quickly as her hand had lost grip from the grasp of the spotter helping her, she had slipped a football field length down the mountainside. A collective gasp 
and guttural prayers came from the team now far above where the student lay motionless. At the very least, the team feared that she had suffered broken bones and perhaps sustained a head injury. The leaders responded instantly and swiftly made their way down the mountainside. Though in a bit of shock, the student was conscious and somewhat mobile. Fear began to seize other students and set in motion other maladies. The pace went from slow to snail-like as the remainder of the team sought a safe gathering point in the valley below. The trek became tenuous. Numerous stops, many you-can-do-this conversations, and multitudes of prayers lined the long and narrow path. In miraculous fashion, not only was the student alive, she only suffered minor cuts and bruises. God not only spared her life, but he also gave a mountain-sized increase of faith to the entire group that day. As the team learned to lean into God and trust one another through trying times and painful circumstances, they were galvanized in ways a simpler route would never have afforded. Who knew that day a trip down the mountain would lead the team to summit levels of trust and intimacy with God? God, whose kingdom purpose and vision far exceeds our limited sight, cares far more about our closeness with him than he does our ability to avoid any particular hardship or adversity. His ultimate concern for our lives is that we intimately know and love him. And the more we get up close to God, the more we discover through every storm, trial, and tragedy that God's promise remains true. He is right there with us in all the good, bad, and ugly moments of our life. With all the heartbreak, abandonment, and betrayal experienced on a daily basis, trust is difficult and comes hesitatingly for many. Separating the trustworthiness of the heart fire of God's love from the less reliable blazes that may have already burned you might take some time. A good first step toward God might begin with a simple and honest conversation. God, I want to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Reveal to me who you really are and what your love is really all about. God is faithful. He will continue to prove himself to you. One circumstance, one faith step at a time. A grasp too tight. Matt was a 6'3", 265-pound, country-strong college student who hailed from South Carolina. Within hours of his arrival in Denver for one of Forge's summer equipping programs called The Experience, staff and student participants knew quite a bit about Matt. Matt told them exactly how much he could bench lift in the weight room, what kind of wildlife he'd recently bagged hunting and fishing, and just how surprisingly fast he could run despite his larger frame. And it was true. Matt really was shockingly fast. Matt didn't lack in self-confidence. 
neither did he lack in his ability to hide his deepest anxieties and inadequacies behind his large facade and image. Matt held tightly to his fears and insecurities the first several weeks of the program. Pride causes us to self-protect and manage our lives. Matt, like many of us do, found a control button that kept his life comfortable. His button was labeled self-sufficiency. Matt had spent a lifetime of making strength his identity, and he wasn't about to loosen his grip on that anytime soon. All that changed, however, during the two-week mission portion of the experience in Honduras. God met Matt in a way that would alter his life forever. Away from the familiar and reliable places of life, God invited Matt closer to experience how much better his life could be up close to the fire of God's love. God's invitation came through the loving nudge of one of the team leaders via a seemingly innocent question around the dinner table. So, uh, what's everybody's biggest fear? One by one, the team members began to answer. When the spotlight turned to Matt, however, he passed. Matt was well aware of his deepest fear, but he also knew that divulging it would mean having to deal with it. So he kept it silent. The sharing moved on to the next team member, and Matt breathed a sigh of relief. Dinner may have been over, but God wasn't finished. Much to Matt's chagrin, the leader circled the conversation back. So, Matt, you've had some time to think. What are you the most afraid of? Matt knew he wasn't escaping this time around. Heights, he said glibly, (laughs) fearing the potential consequences to come. And the leader's face lit up. He knew God was at work in this. After giving the situation some prayerful thought, the leader said, Matt, would you like to redeem yourself from that self-centered decision you made a few weeks ago that cost your team? Matt knew exactly the choice and the cost the leader was referring to. He also knew the answer he needed to give. Matt swallowed and fumbled out a nervous, yes, The leader borrowed a hair ribbon from one of the girls on the team and began to lay out Matt's challenge. Put this on your wrist, and when you're ready to face your fear, bring the ribbon to me and say, let's do this. You have three days to think it over. That night, Matt laid in bed restless and fear-filled. God began dealing with him about the root of his fear. God's presence was so strong in those sleepless hours that by morning, Matt had already made a decision. Fear had to go. No longer could it control and wreak havoc in his life. His decision made, Matt couldn't wait to get to the breakfast table the next morning and get things started. In hunter-like fashion, he affectionately ambushed his half-awake, coffee-deprived challenger, Ripping the ribbon from his wrist, Matt flung it on the table and exclaimed as directed, Let's do this. The leader jumped into action. He instructed Matt to follow him. 
Determined yet apprehensive, Matt made his way to the challenge that rested high atop the local Honduran mountainside. Awaiting Matt was an apparatus designed to help people just like him, a God-trusting, fear-dispelling mega-size zipline that traversed the jungle below. With his teammates cheering on, Matt began to ascend the ladder to the launching platform. Rung by rung, Matt asked God to help him overcome what he couldn't muster on his own. God answered Matt's prayer step by step. Matt sensed God's nearness. Reaching the launch platform, all seemed well, until, that is, like Peter, that famous faith-building, water-walking night with Jesus, Matt looked down. He was sunk, more like frozen, paralyzed by fear. Fear was telling Matt he'd made a mistake. God was telling Matt to trust his voice above all others. Moments later, upon hearing the snap of the carabiner to the zipline, Matt would have to decide. The voice most worth listening to. The leader gave one last instruction. As you leave the platform, I want you to shout the new name that God has given you. Now, the leader was referring to a new name Matt had received earlier in the summer as team members were encouraged to listen for what God might convey about the truth of their identity in him. Matt drew a deep breath, picked his feet off the platform, and screamed at the top of his lungs, Faithful tornado! God with him. Matt's fear was as distant as the jungle below. God replaced Matt's fear with soaring delight. As Matt tells the story, by the time he reached the end of the course, God put an addition on his new name. From now on, Matt heard God say, You are fearless, faithful tornado. Since that day, Matt has continued to live fearlessly, faithfully facing and doing whatever God asks. I am a tornado changing the landscape for God wherever I go, Matt says. The fear that once gripped him now rests in the control of God who towers high above Matt's fear. Fear and control don't just plague individuals, they devour relationships and communities as well. Maintaining a tight grasp of self-protective control often deters many from relational trust and commitment. They fear giving up their ability to control choices and outcomes as seems best to them. Far too many relationships end in shambles because one party or the other feels they're not getting what they want. Consider the number of people who walk away from marriages, workplaces, churches, sports teams, and friend circles simply because personal wants and expectations aren't fulfilled. And when the going gets tough, we tend to resort to what we know and trust most, our own control and preferred comfort zones. Unfortunately, such 
self-focused behavior often distances us from valuable relationships and communities. The questions, who can I trust and who is in control, are paramount in our relationships. They become of greatest importance when it comes to our relationship with God. God alone is trustworthy, and he alone must be in charge. Settling for any other kind of arrangement reduces God to a subject in a kingdom of our own making. Left in charge of our own self-appointed monarchy, we run our kingdom amok. What's more, at the first sign of trouble, we abdicate our throne, claim God wears the crown, and then judge him for our poor leadership choices. It's an age-old, often duplicated story. Israel knew it well. They believed the risks were too great and the price too high to submit to God. Their unwillingness to let God be in charge cost them dearly. What should have been a 30-day jaunt into the promised land ended as a 40-year journey of difficult desert wandering, simply because they did not trust God and give Him control. True intimacy with God calls us to trust Him enough to put up the white flag and surrender our self-governing control. And when we do, we soar far above the fear that often keeps us grounded. It's true. Just ask Matt. A perspective too low. Whether hoofing it in large cities or trekking the great outdoors, perspective can be tricky. The skyscraping Ellis Tower, formerly the Sears Tower in Chicago, may look like it's an easy ten blocks away, but start walking and you may quickly discover why a cab ride would have been the better choice. And the same holds true in mountainous regions. On a clear day, Mount Rainier or Pikes Peak may seem close enough, but in reality may actually be several hours away. Devil's Thumb, a peak formation in the Rocky Mountains, has tormented hikers' perspectives for years. From the distant highway, Devil's Thumb looks like a huge boulder innocently resting atop the Continental Divide. Hike a good three and a half miles up the mountain and through the trees, and the perspective remains about the same, just another big boulder sitting on top of another common ridge. Only as hikers get ever so close to the peak do they discover exactly what they've encountered, that the boulder is no boulder at all. It's actually the backside of a thousand-foot spire that rises from the ground on the other side of the ridge. What seems like a ho-hum formation becomes an observation platform equivalent to sightseeing from the top of the Eiffel Tower or Empire State Building. The view is majestic and breathtaking. Perspective matters. Any perspective of life and ministry outside of God's perspective will distort our view of God and lead us down unintended paths. This particular barrier is a dangerous one.
It can deceptively keep us from a life we were always meant to have by tempting us to believe and settle for a lesser version of God. Sky Jathani, in his book With, rightly describes four ways we often relate to God from unhealthy perspectives. From, under, over, and for. The four perspectives unfold something like this. Some live a life from God. They run and manage their lives without God in the picture. A number of people go this route simply because they aren't aware of God, the gospel, or that a personal relationship with Jesus is even possible. Others are aware of God and the offer of a life with him, but through pride and disbelief based on a host of reasons, they decide that a life from God is better than life with him. Others live a life under God. For them, God becomes a supreme being with whom they dare not trifle. He is to be obeyed and appeased, not personally related to. The hope of those living under God is that if they keep all the rules and don't step too far out of line, God might someday reward them with heaven. Most people living under God find neither joy nor fulfillment in life. They do, however, live with the constant burden of being under it. Still others compartmentalize their life. They live a life over God. They see God's ways and principles as good, but only as God's ways fit into their own plans and schemes. Those living with such perspective rarely own it. They look and act the part of the Christian name, they claim, but when push comes to shove, they keep God in check and do what is best in their own eyes. They remain Lord and Commander-in-Chief over their lives. The last perspective is dangerously subtle. A life for God. Out of a desire to love and please God comes an unhealthy perspective of doing things for God rather than living life with Him. It's a life of religion over relationship where endless activity leaves people weary worn and incomplete, forgetting that they were created as human beings instead of human doings, they begin to wonder where all the busyness is taking them and who it is really for. A life from, under, over, for, all, fall exceedingly short of the life God intends for us. They are birthed out of a low view of God and an elevated view of our self. Unfortunately, they've left us seeing things from belly-dragging, serpent-level views. Timothy Keller, in his book Counterfeit Gods, says, We are all called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, but when some lesser things take possession of our hearts, we have fallen into idolatry. And I must note that these lesser things are rarely altogether bad. 
It's often the deception of good things turned into ultimate things that leads us to wrong perspectives and low-level gazing. G.K. Chesterton agrees, we as the church have failed the gospel. We've done a disservice of making our relationship with God about everything else but what is most needful. We have failed to make the main thing the main thing. A right perspective enables us to see God as he really is. Clear views lead to trusted paths and partnerships. False and distorted views of God, however, make us reluctant and keep us relationally distant. C.S. Lewis once prayed, God, may the real you meet the real me. His desire was to know God and be known by him in the clearest, most authentic way. Like C.S. Lewis, the Apostle Paul had a similar desire in prayer for his friends at First Church Ephesus. Here's an adapted version of that prayer that you may want to consider praying right now. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, Please give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so I may know you better. I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that I may know the hope to which you have called me, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Invitation in hand, you have to choose. Costs calculated, fears weighed, warmth and light before you. You have a choice to make. If you dare to believe that Jesus, the one called Emmanuel, is indeed with us, you have to decide whether or not you want to be with him in the intimacy of his love. A host of issues might complicate your decision. Bad church experiences. People who have misrepresented God. A personal history of sin and shame. An inaccurate understanding of who God is. Or perhaps a growing refusal to trust God or anyone else. Fear may plague you. Fear of failure. Fear of losing control. Fear of getting duped even fear of what it will mean if your heart is truly set ablaze. A thousand fear-based, misled, and uninformed excuses exist as to why entering the forge and getting up close to God and his love is a bad idea. Yet, one reason to enter outweighs them all. God himself, good, gracious, generous, and kind, invites you to come. The king of the universe not only knows your name, he wants to walk and talk with you on a daily basis. And yes, author Francis Chan is right. That really is crazy love. 
It's heaven's perfect mystery, as songwriter Matt Redman pens it, that the king of love has sent for me. What's holding you back? Is fear or anything else keeping your longing heart from his welcoming crazy love offer? The truth is, for better or worse, you must choose. To choose nothing is a choice in itself. Will you hold on to what Brother Lawrence called the small private dreams that a diminished, scaled-down life and future on your own will produce? Or risking everything, will you enter a life with God beyond compare? God, loving and patient, faithful and true, awaits your decision.